Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Amen. Amen. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. It is good to have you all here. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here at Sozo. Thanks for coming and hanging out with us, whether you're here in person or online. There, got that out of the way. Cool. Um, Man, weather lately is ridiculous. Can I get an amen from anybody? Like, I feel like it's just instant, no matter what, regret weather. Because if you put on a jacket in the morning, you regret it by the afternoon. But if you take it off in the afternoon, you regret it by the evening. It's just obnoxious. Um, and so it's, it's just the, the joys of living in the Northwest. Amen. Um, winter is coming. Brace yourselves. Brace yourselves. Um, we got a lot to cover this morning. We're in a series through the Gospel of John. We're doing kind of a quick little uh, three-week recap to try to get ourselves back into this, make sure that we don't miss anything that's been kind of sewed into us. And so we've got quite a bit to cover this morning, wrapping up our recap. So uh, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read a few different spots in the Gospel of John today. So uh, you may want to turn to one or both. Uh, those references would be John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read... Uh, in the passage of verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to jump ahead to uh, chapter 20 and read 30 and 31. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. Who's excited for God's Word this morning? We love the Bible. Amen? Amen. We love Jesus. We love that He loves to speak to us even more than we love to hear from Him. Uh, This is John chapter 1. We read out of the ESV for the most, well, I read out of the ESV. This summer, we had rebellious people reading out of other versions. Um... And we like rebels around here, so we're cool with that. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1. Let's read 1 through 5, and let's jump down to verse 9. It says, in the beginning, everybody say the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, how many things? All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Can I get an amen? Everybody that's happy the darkness hasn't overcome? Jump down with me to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now we're going to fast forward way, 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 way forward to nearly the end of the book. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. 
But these are written so that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Anybody want to thank the Lord for His word this morning? Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we rejoice over your heart to speak to us. We rejoice over the reality that you are not a God who stays distant. You are not a God who is disinterested. You are not a God who is disconnected, but you are a God who engages. You come, you break through, you make a way. You enter your creation even when your creation does not receive you. You rejoice over your creation. And so we come as a people today to receive you. We come as a people today ready excited, open, anticipating what it is that you would speak to us. We come at the same time with our expectation is mixed the reality that we are desperate to hear from you, God. We do not live off of bread alone. We, we, we subsist off of the very words you speak to us. And so we say, God, yesterday's word was good, and we celebrate yesterday's word, but we need today's word. We need fresh word from you today, God. So we ask that you speak and that we have the ability to hear. Give us ears to hear what it is that you would say to us. In the midst of all that is said, God, let us hear you. That we would hear you, that we would receive your word. That it would go deep into the soil of our hearts. That roots would find depth within us. Things would not just spring up quickly, but would spring up fully. That it would change the very fabric and makeup and layout of the way we think and process and perceive everything. You would transform us, not by modifying our behavior, but by changing at the very core of who we are. That we might walk in obedience to your word. Not just observation of your word, obedience of your word. That it would be, as it were, second nature to us because we would have your heart. Yeah. And we would walk as you walk in the earth. Thus answering the cry of all of the cosmos, the revealing of the sons of God in the earth. Oh, that we would be the answer to the cosmos. For your glory and the good of all that you've made. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and greet somebody around you real fast and then grab yourselves a seat. Amen, amen, amen. <clears throat> I am extremely excited uh, to bring the word today. I'm always excited to get to preach. Uh, I'm always excited to have the honor to, uh, to open up God's word to us. <laughs> but uh, today I'm especially excited because uh, we get to kind of finish up this recap. We get to sort of finish up uh, doing all this. And, and, and if, if you've been tracking with us for the last uh, couple of weeks, um, 
you'll know this, but if you haven't, I'm just going to give a quick, quick summary that we, we sort of have been trying to look, not, not so much to do a recap as in reteach all of the things that we taught throughout the Gospel of John, but rather sort of answer a few kind of questions, and that is, why did Jesus come? What did he accomplish when he did come? And what does it mean to believe in that? And so we had to talk about the problem. That was sort of the first message I got to preach after sabbatical. Nothing like uh, pointing out everyone's problems, right? That's why you need a pastor. Uh, so um, that was sort of not the greatest. But then we, last week, come on, we, we got to talk about the light of Jesus and how he comes, come on, and destroys all of our problems. And this week, I'm really excited because we get to kind of tie a bow onto all of that. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, um, first week we talked about darkness. The next week we talked about light. This week we get to talk about life. John says that Jesus is the light and life of men, and we're going to talk about what it means to believe and receive. Very, very quickly, I want to just make sure we remember these things. We talked about this, that humanity has a problem. John points out in his opening here that there is darkness amongst creation. That darkness we saw is, is ignorance. Ignorance of the divine reality, the, the being unaware of the goodness, the kindness, the nature, the person of God. John speaks of darkness, and by darkness, he means the trouble that humanity finds himself in. How did we get in this place? Because we believed. We were sold a lie. We were tricked into believing a lie. What is that lie? We find this in Genesis chapter 3. In the very, very beginning, we find this is my heavily modified version of uh, the lie that we believed. Serpent comes and tells us that God is a no-good liar who withholds good from those he only claims to believe. And I always want to make sure I put this slide up after that slide. False. Wrong. This is not true. No single piece of this is true. God is not only no, he's not only not no good, he is only good. Not, he is not a liar, he is in himself. Come on, beloved. The truth. He is truth. He doesn't just know truth, he is truth. He doesn't withhold any good thing from us, the scripture says. He freely gives us all things. He doesn't just claim to love us. He doesn't just love us in word only. He loves us indeed. He gave himself up for us. Amen? But by believing this lie, by buying into this, by being shaped by it, we found ourselves not only believing a lie, but we found ourselves in a matter of speaking, dead, the Bible says. Dead in our trespasses and our sins. How did this happen? Because through deception, this external deception we learned produced an internal delusion. So it wasn't just something that was out there being stated. It's something that we internalized. And as this thing became internalized in us, it produced dis de depravity in us, which is this tree that grows up, blocks out all, abil all of our ability to perceive and receive light, thus causing us to have death because Jesus is the light and the life so you block out the light you lose the life that was the depressing first week I got back <laughs> last week we saw this that humanity was delivered from our darkness by Jesus both being and bringing the light of God into our deception delusion depravity and death amen so there's nothing left. I want to be super stinking clear about this. There is nothing left for us to accomplish for our deliverance. You are, I love you, I love you, you are incapable of delivering yourself. 
And yet, we, we say amen to that, we get excited about that, and yet we believe by our actions, we show our belief that we think we have to do stuff. I gotta pray this way, I gotta do this thing, I gotta accomplish this thing, I have to do. No, there's nothing left for us to do but believe and receive. Receive and believe. There's there's nothing left for us to accomplish on our own. No, he has done it all. How much has he done? All of it. Jesus crawled into humanity's deception, delusion, depravity, and yes, even death. He climbs into all of that. We see this throughout the Gospel of John. He climbs into all of this stuff by becoming one of us. And he blows up this wall of division that we have built up. He destroys it from the inside out. He does it all. He accomplishes it all. By both being and bringing. Listen, it, it does us no good for God to be light if we are in darkness. But he, by being the light and then bringing himself to us, Darkness flees. Again, we, we talked about this. Darkness has no ontological being. Darkness has no substance. There are no darkness particles. There's only light particles, right? So darkness does not have a chance in fighting back against light. It simply it, 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 it ceases to be an experiential reality when light shows up. So light wins out. And now, now, now that Jesus has accomplished all that is necessary for our deliverance. Nothing left. Now that this has happened, God himself now calls all people to believe in Jesus. To trust the good news of Jesus' accomplishment on our behalf. He calls all of us to this. Each and every one. He says, everybody needs to believe this. So the question that we need to ask is, what does it mean to believe? What what do we mean by believe? Because if we're going to be honest, we've probably all had conversations with people that we talk about Jesus. They go, yeah, I believe in Jesus. There may have even been a moment in your life where you said, oh, I, I believe in Jesus, but now you would recognize that that belief was not what the Bible is talking about. So we need to talk about belief. And I don't think we can talk about belief without first very briefly touching on this thing that John seems to do in the Gospel of John and even in his epistles as well. And that is he sort of bounces back and forth. Did you catch this? He bounces back and forth with these words, believe and receive. He seems to tie them together in an interesting way. So let's look at these real fast as we look at what it means to believe. During this message, my, my hope is that you'll see the, what it, the, 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 the means by which we believe, the meaning of believing, and the manifestation of what happens when we believe. So let's, let's try to dissect and see if there's something we can glean as we look into the meaning of belief. Let's look at this, these two words. Believe, the Greek word here, believe, is pistuo. It means to have confidence, to entrust a thing to one. Receive, receive is a great word, lembano. Everybody say lembano. I didn't know you guys spoke Greek. That sounds great. Lambano, Greek here, the, the, this word receive literally means to not, not to refuse or reject. We've talked about this a lot here, so I'm not going to go too deep. That's ultimately what we did to God. We refused him. We rejected him. 
So to receive is the opposite of that. It's to not refuse, to not reject. It is to obtain or to get back. John uses these two words in speaking of our need for both of them as they relate to Jesus. So, so, so I need us to understand the relationship between believing and receiving. And wouldn't you know, John explains it to us in the very words of Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 44. I think we, we can see the difference here. He says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe when you're trying to receive from the wrong place? This helps us unlock these, these, the, the relationship between these two. The one who we are willing or able or desire to receive from is the only one we're able, willing, and, 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 and have the capacity to believe in. These things relate to one another. Who you truly receive from is who you therefore believe in. What this tells us, what I'm trying to get us to see is that biblical belief, biblical believing and receiving is not about, we're not talking simply about the intellectual act of personal, personally affirming facts and figures about Jesus. It's not about your intellectual affirmations. Come on, come on, come on, come on, talk to me. This is what we hear people. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus. What do they mean? I, I think he was an actual historical figure. I, I think he lived. Maybe even they think he died. Maybe they even think he rose again. They, they agree mentally, track with me church, with the truth, with the facts about Jesus' claims and deeds and even maybe his identity. But what, 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 the, what the Lord, what the scriptures, what, what God is calling us to is not just a intellectual affirmation. Oh yes, I, I, I believe in that. We're not called to agree with his testimony or to find his claims valid. Now let me, let me be super clear. It's an important and maybe even necessary step to affirm those things because they are true. What, what do I mean? We're not asked to believe a fairy tale so that we can glean some sort of, uh, you know, moral sort of lesson from it by believing in it. No, 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 I'm not asking you to believe a fairy tale. They are true. It's important to understand the truth of the claims of the Bible. However, that is insufficient because simply affirming facts has no power to transform us. I can prove it to you. Everybody and their cousin's grandma's uncle's brother knows that McDonald's is not good for you. <laughs> Yet they sell 6.5 million burgers every day. Everyone knows it's not food. But the simple intellectual understanding of that, the intellectual affirmation, like this is not healthy for me, not food. But nobody on the face of the planet's ever made anything more delicious than a McDonald's french fry. My mom used to say when growing up, she goes, the, the, the thing that made her the most confused out of everything she ever experienced in her entire life was a female doctor who smokes. 
She goes, females are just smarter than men. We don't do stupid things. She's a doctor. She, should, she knows about the human body, and she still chooses to smoke. She's like, I just don't understand it. Do you think that female doctor was unaware that smoking was unhealthy? No, but it was just cooler than not smoking. It's a joke. Move on. Right? We know that if we spend money we don't have, we'll have even less money. Right? You intellectually understand that, but it's like the credit card swiped and they handed me the stuff, so therefore I must be able to afford it. It's like, no, stop. Right? We know these. Are you tracking with me? We know these things, but they have no power to transform us. They, they, don't, they don't, in and of themselves, in and of the, 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 the simple reality of intellectual affirmation, but yet, come on, come on, come on, come on, for so long as a church, we've spent all of our energy trying to get people to intellectually affirm things. Beloved, it ought not be so. That's not where we should be spending our time. We're not, we're not, I'm not up here. Please, come on. I am not up here trying to somehow pretend like I'm smarter than you and I'm going to convince you to believe things you should believe. Belief is not about intellectual affirmation. Biblical belief is about embracing and entrusting. I don't just believe, I don't just affirm this thing to be true. I am grabbing a hold of it. It's everything to me. I'm, I'm, I'm betting the farm on this. This is why Paul said, look, if, if, if the truth of the gospel is actually in reality false, we are above all people on this planet to be pitied. We embrace and we entrust. I want to unpack what these mean. I want to, I'm referencing, I'm not going to go back and reread it because you've heard it already. John 20, 30 through 31 says that we are, to, we are to believe Jesus as the Christ and as the Son of God. So let's unpack this embrace and entrust. To embrace the reality. What does it mean to believe? To believe is to embrace the reality of Jesus as the Son of God. Again, not, not intellectually affirm it. Is he the Son of God? But that truth has no power to transform us unless we embrace that as our own. What do we mean by the son? Sons, come on, come on, come on, come on. Some of you are going to be really happy about what I'm going to say. Some of you are going to be less happy with what I'm about to say, okay? I'm just warning you, just trying to be fair and nice and kind. Sons are a reflection of their father. Some of you fathers are really happy about that. You're like, yeah, my son's pretty cool. I like that. Some of you are less happy about that. Some of you who are sons are less happy. Some of you are sons are happy, right? Like, like we, we have this reflective nature with our kids. I, I, I heard, I, heard I, was, I was overhearing eavesdropping at a coffee shop. It's the joy of Apple's AirPods that lets you hear everything around you. People don't think they can, you can hear them, but you can. It's just wonderful. It's horrible, but it's also wonderful. And I heard, I heard these, these two young ladies talking, and one of them I felt like gave, there were two like college-age students, and one of them I felt like gave an incredibly sage, wise advice to the other one. The, the, the one girl was talking about this guy that she'd started to date, and things were starting to get serious, and, and, and the, the, the other girl asked her, she said, well, well, would you want your sons to be like him? And she goes, what do you mean? She goes, well, 
If you, if you end up being with this guy, marrying this guy, you're, you, know, you have kids with him, your kids are going to end up being like him. And she goes, oh. <laughs> and I loved this. She goes, my kids would be a lot of fun. <laughs> right? Like, like, we have this, fr- this, this saying you'll hear, right? Like father, like son. So when we say, I'm believing that Jesus is the Son of God, what am I saying? I believe that God is like Jesus. That when I think of God, when I think of the ultimate creator, sustainer, and object of everything, it looks like Jesus. Now, that, that we, we can apply this on a religious perspective, that, that he's not like other gods, not like all these other, maybe, idolatrous, you know, he's not like, you know, Allah, he's not like Buddha, he's not, no, he's like Jesus. We can, we can say that, but come on, in America, we also need to catch and say that God, the creator, the sustainer, and the object of everything is like Jesus. It's not the car I drive, come on, somebody, it's not the house I live in. Jesus, not my, not, those aren't my gods, he's my God. We embrace Jesus as God. To embrace Jesus as the Son of God is to receive him, catch this please, as God's full, final, and forensic revelation of himself to his creation. To embrace Jesus as the Son of God is to receive him as God's full, final and forensic revelation of himself to his creation. What do I mean? He is everything God has to say about himself to us. Full. He is the full revelation of God. He's everything God has to say about himself. He is the final. What do I mean by that? He is the totality of what God's going to say to us. He's not saying anything else. Not because there's not more for us to hear, but because the revelation found in Jesus is so complete that we will spend eternity exploring it and never run out of new things to find. And it is the forensic revelation of who God is. It is the legal, actual, real revelation of who God is. Everything else, every other revelation you have ever had of God outside of the person of Jesus is at best shadow. Only Jesus is substance. So that means by the very nature of embracing him, we have to abandon other things. And I'm just going to level with y'all. That can be really hard for us when some of the pictures we picked up of God came from people who said they were Christians. I'm just going to let that sting for a minute. (laughs) Even some stuff that we figured out ourselves from reading the Bible, we have to go, oh, that's not found in Jesus. Or, or, here's a good one. This thing's found in Jesus, but I don't really like that one, so I'm just going to ignore that. (laughs) Jesus is a sweetie pie. He has long feathered hair. He pets lambs. Little kids like to play with him. He's awesome. That's totally true. That's all in the, the feathered hair, not. But, you know, it's all mostly in the Bible. But there's also Jesus with a tattoo on his leg and a sword coming out of his mouth, riding a horse with, like, red eyes. 
all moments of transparency here for a second. That's, I like that, Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus is with me on the freeway when the person's in the wrong lane. <laughs> I don't need feathered-haired Jesus. I need sword, fire-eyed Jesus to get the person to understand that the left lane is not for you driving faster, the left lane is for you driving the fastest, and so if I'm driving faster than you, you get to move over. <laughs> Thanks for the therapy, everybody. Um, <laughs> maybe if I just left on time, I wouldn't need to drive so fast. Um, nah, it's their fault. Um, so to embrace Jesus as the Son of God is to say he is everything God has to say about himself to me. We have to let go of all other lesser images, all other ideas, all other imaginations we have, and admit the truth that all of those lesser things, if your picture of God, you're not going to like this, if your picture of God is any less than Jesus, that picture you have of God is in reality, is in all actual factual realism and idol. You go, no, 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 but it looks like Jesus. Doesn't matter. If, it doesn't, if, it's, not, if it's not Jesus, it's not Jesus. This is why the commandment was, don't make any graven images of me. Yet how often, come on, not that we're under the law, not that we're under the law, but how often do we as Christians make, make images of God? Well, I like social justice Jesus. Well, I like super conservative Jesus. Well, I like baby Jesus, right? Well, whatever. No. Those, listen, listen, listen. Those are not Jesus. Those are idols. Ricky Bobby and his entire family are idol worshipers. You go, but they call it Jesus. Yeah, 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 I don't care. It's not Jesus. Again, I've talked about this. It can have the right name. To embrace the reality of Jesus as the Son of God. That's what it means to believe. Amen? Amen. But it also means to entrust. It means to entrust Jesus as the sole source of all you need. We embrace him as the Son of God, but John 20, 30, and 31 says we also need to believe in him as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He is our soul, only, only place we go to to find what we actually need. He's the one that we go to. He is, listen, 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 listen. He does not have what you need. He is what you need. He doesn't possess within himself a measure of need-meeting ability. He is, by his very nature, that which we need. The problem is, we like to go to places that don't satisfy us and pretend like they do. Jeremiah 2, 12-13. Be appalled. I... I I often don't include verse 12 in this, but I need you to see this. I need you to see verse 12. This is the call of God. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Okay, what, what was that saying? What he's about to reveal is a big deal. He's telling all of creation, like, hey, I'm about to tell you guys something, and this should gross you out. This is a big deal. This is a big problem. 
It says, for my people have committed two, two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, evil number one, evil number two, <laughs> and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I'm just going to level with you. I don't think there is a better description of human sinfulness than that. God is the sole source of everything that we need, and we go, nah. And we go out into the desert, and we take our little stick, and we dig into the dirt, we dig a hole, and we go, yeah, this is, this is where my water comes from. And because there's no water in it, and because even if we poured water in it, it couldn't hold water, we eat the dirt and claim that our thirst is quenched. When in reality, he is the only sole source of all that we need. For he is Christ, he is Messiah, he is the anointed one. He is Jesus, the one who comes to save. He alone can impart that which we need. I've gone over this a lot, I'm going to go over it very quickly. The human soul longs for identity, security, and ecstasy. We want to know who we are. We want to know that we're safe. And, and listen, 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 listen. I, I, know, I know preachers have forgotten to tell you this, and I apologize on all of our behalf. You were made for joy. I know a lot of us Christians, we accidentally got baptized in lemon juice, and so we don't seem very happy. Hung out with a Presbyterian friend a while back, and I was like, dude, bro, like, are you doing okay? He's like, yeah. I was like, you look miserable. He goes, ah, I'm Presbyterian. Uh, he goes, we're not allowed to be any happier than this. This is like the cow. I was Presbyterian for a while. Stop it. Um, we can be that way. Can, can we be honest? We can, we can be that way. We, 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 we bought into this lie sometimes within the Christian dumb that we uh, were somehow not, that being happy is somehow bad. That a pursuit of happiness is wrong. Because they're suffering. <laughs> right? You're like, you, you want to remind some of these people, like, their Lamentations is in the Bible, but it's not the whole Bible, right? Like, like go back a little. There's Psalms. There's some happy stuff in there. Um, we're built for joy. The problem is this. When we go looking for those things outside of him, come on, somebody, we're going to empty cisterns that can't hold water. As the creator, he is uniquely, uniquely capable of telling you who you are. He knows you better than anyone knows you. Did you hear me? He knows you better than your parents know you. He knows you better than your best friends know you. Okay, here's a, here's a big one. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Buckle up. As, the, as your creator, Jesus knows you better than Google knows you. <laughs> Jesus knows what you need more than Amazon does. 
I'm pretty convinced that within the next six weeks, Amazon's just going to have stuff show up in my house. I'm going to go, oh, I was just about to think about ordering this. <laughs> They're that good at this point. Right? He knows us better. Okay, here's the real one. He knows you better than you know you. You go, well, I'm just trying to live my truth. Awesome. How's that working for you? Right? He knows us better than we know ourselves. So to say that I'm going to, I'm going to in, in, entrust Jesus as the sole source of all that I need means that I'm going to look to him for who I am. Not my own successes and failures. Not my own behavior. That's a hard one. Not what other people say about me, not what I even say about me. Whatever he says about me, that's what I'm going to entrust as truth. As creator, he's the only one to do this. So do we entrust his testimony about who we are? Do you trust his testimony about you? I'm going to challenge you on this in a little bit. So just, just think about it inside your little heart of hearts. So as creator, he's able to do this. As sustainer of all things, he alone is capable of holding and protecting you in every and any season and circumstance. Hebrews 1.3, come on, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And you're freaking out because you don't know how the day is going to end. He's the one who is capable of holding these things. So do we entrust him? Here's the rub. Do we entrust him to do, but ultimately to know what is ultimate good for us? Here's a way to know how much you trust him. Do you keep demanding your way? Paul says, like, I, I, I've learned to be content when I have a lot and when I have a little because I trust the one who's giving it to me. People, people find out that I teach and believe in the sovereignty of God. And they go, so, so you're telling me that if you were like walking down the street in downtown and some dude just shot you in the face, you would just say, what? And I go, then that was the best thing that could have happened to me. Because I trust the one who holds my days. Are you tracking with me? Do we trust him? Do we trust him? Not, not for what I think is safety and security, but for what he calls safety and security. Okay, I, I always have to do this. Anytime I get close to this, I always have to touch on it because part of the calling of the God of my life is to rip bumper sticker theology off the people of God. You know what I mean? Bumper sticker theology, stupid things that sound good that we put in our cars. Like this one. Have you heard this one? The safest place to be is the center of God's will. Isn't that pretty? Doesn't that make you just feel warm inside? Isn't that like a fresh baked cookie? I just want to get in a DeLorean, go 88 miles an hour, travel back to Paul, and hand him that while he's being stoned. Safest place to be, buddy. Center of God's will. Your eyeball's kind of falling out. You might want to push that back in. I want, I want to go back. I want to go back to John the Baptist as his head is being cut off. And the last thing he gets to see is me hold a bumper sticker. Safe supposed to be. Center of God's will. When I say that Jesus is our sole source of safety, I don't mean what you and I have been sold as the lie of safety. 
What do I mean by safety and security? I mean the ability to walk in obedience even when the end of the road is me losing my head. That's stability. As a creator, only he can identify us. As a sustainer, only he is capable of sustaining us, protecting us, holding us in all seasons. And as the object of our existence, he alone is able to be the joy our souls were designed for. Every other pleasure will leave you wanting. Only he satisfies. And only he satisfies in such a way that we continue to be satisfied in our continuing to be satisfied in him. Do we entrust his presence to deal with all the lovers less wild that seek our attention and our affection? Come on, somebody. So to embrace and entrust is what it means to believe. I said I wanted to talk to you about what it means. We talked about the means that God has to do this for us, right? That it's not just a mental, mental thing. It's got to be something supernatural. But I also said I wanted to talk about the manifestation because I think it's vastly, vastly, vastly important to us to understand what takes place because John always ties these things together. John 1, 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of men but of God in embracing and entrusting Jesus we are made you are made a child of God our identities are completely and utterly transformed not by any measure of human effort, not by any exertion of our own will, not by the act of someone else, but simply because of who God is, he makes us into his children. We are transformed through this belief. So this, again, it can't just be, come on, a mental affirmation. No, it's something much more than that. It goes so deeply within us that we are utterly transformed by this very thing. We receive from his glory. We believe in his message, and it changes us. It transforms us. We, we cease to see him as a no-good liar who's withholding good from us. And we recognize him for who he is, which is Abba. Father, my beloved Father. But here's the amazing part to me. We're going we're gonna to go on a really fast roller coaster journey here for a second. You're not only a child of God, you are loved by God. John 15, 9. As the Father, Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide, rest, remain, and receive. In my love, he says. It gets even crazier than that, in my opinion. John 17, 23. I and them and you, this is Jesus praying to Abba. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and, catch this, and love them even as you loved me. You are loved by the Father 
the same as Jesus is loved by the Father. Remember before I told you that I was going to challenge you if you really trusted what Jesus says about you? And you're like, I totally trust him. Yeah, God loves you as much as God loves himself. That's a little harder to believe. That's a little difficult for me. You are, you are not only a child of God. You are loved by God. But can I tell you, just like the sham wow, it gets better. <laughs> just like Apple, but wait, there's more. You are not only loved by God. You are the beloved of God. Okay. Self-indulgent moment here. This is, this, is, this, is, this is my favorite Greek word. My absolute favorite Greek word is beloved. Agapetas. Isn't that a great word? Agapetas. Agapetas means to be esteemed, to be fond of, to love dearly. So he says, you are his beloved. Means he is, you are esteemed by God. Does that make anybody uncomfortable? To think that the God of the universe esteems me? He is fond of you. See, we say God loves you, and that just sort of like, we, we've, 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 we've kind of conditioned ourselves to just let that kind of wash over us. You are dearly loved by God. But here's where it gets even more uncomfortable. That's hard enough for me. To be beloved means that you are labeled as worthy of love. Worthy of love. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm good with, with singing all day long, all night long, and into tomorrow how worthy he is. I'm good with that. I like that. That's comfortable for me. But to stop and hear him say, no, no, you're worthy of love. No, 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 God, you're so worthy that even though I'm unworthy, you still love me. That's not what he says. That would be good news, amen? And we've sold that as the good news for a long time. But according to the scriptures, again, if we're going to look at Jesus as the only revelation of God, he doesn't say that, yeah, you're, you're, you're a piece of garbage, but God chooses to love you anyways. No, he says God labels you as worthy to be loved. Not because of what you've done, because of who he is. He labels you that way. And this is the one that bothered me for so long. Beloved literally means favorite. So you are God's favorite, which means, track with me, track with me, track with me, that Abba, come on, is capable of a multitude of favorites with no dilution of the potency of you being his favorite. Are you... Abba in his nature can have more than one favorite. And that doesn't diminish the weightiness of you being his favorite. That's what it means when he calls you beloved. 
When you, when you walk, when you, you, when you walk into an awareness of his presence and you recognize that he's with you and he goes, my beloved's here. So glad my favorite showed up. Come on, you know what that's like when you, you're going to go to a party and you find out there's going to be a bunch of people there and you're like, I really hope so-and-so is there because, I mean, I like everybody else, but I really hope so-and-so is there. For me, that's, I have the same answer to every party I ever go to. It's my wife. <laughs> dudes are like, you want to come over and hang out? I'm like, can I bring my wife? Like, no, it's just dudes. I'm like, maybe. <laughs> I might be there. Pray for my wife because I only ever want to hang out with her and she needs a break sometimes <laughs> from this. She made it through sabbatical. That's a, that's a miracle. <laughs> Come on, are, are you, I, I, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to worship him. His capacity to love. His capacity to love infinitely, infinitely. Without diminishing that. Okay, so let's, 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 see, let's see this, let's see this. This is how amazing this is. I wanted to do this. I'm going to go really quick, so... Just take pictures or whatever you guys do. It's weird to me, but whatever. Um, here's some verses to try to back this up so that it's not just hyperbole. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. <laughs> to be conformed in the image of his son. That means you are predestined. God has already destined you to be formed to the image of his son. In order that he, that is Jesus, might be what? The firstborn among many brothers. So what did Jesus say? He's like, man, I don't want to hoard this beloved status just to myself. I know my Abba so much that he's capable of a multitude of beloveds, and so I'm going to make other people beloved as well. I'm going to share my beloved status with them. It's not going to diminish my beloved status at all, but it's going to change their status completely. That's Romans 8, 29. Galatians. 327, this is, this is for, many, for as many were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That means that in baptism, we are united in his baptism. That means that the Matthew 3, 16 and 17 revelation that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased is God making that declaration over you as well. Can I tell you that's what your soul's been longing to hear and experience? You're not going to find it in images on the internet, in, in, in dollars in your bank account, in achievements at work, in, in achievements from your kids, in having a better marriage, in having a bigger car, in having a nicer house, none of that. You need to hear him say over you, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased in you. And Jesus heard this before he ever did anything spiritual. He just made furniture. He pounded on rocks. He was a carpenter. He worked with wood. The word carpenter in Greek is literally just a word. He was a construction worker. Right? He did practical things, and yet he hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't raised him from the dead. He, hadn't, he certainly hadn't gone to the cross yet. You're like, how's the Father pleased with me? He hasn't even done his mission yet. That same declaration is heard over us. Before we do anything, before you accomplish anything, before you get that sin problem under control, he declares over you, you're my favorite, I'm well pleased with you. And if you think that's a license to sin, you've never heard him say that, because that will deliver you from every bondage and sin like nothing else can, because nothing else will. But hey, but hey, you keep 
you keep doing the try harder religion thing and let me know how that's working for you. Or you can do the hard thing, which is sit at his feet and hear him say, you're my beloved, and let that undo everything inside of you. You say, how can that be? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. You share righteousness with him. You are as righteous... You are as righteous as God is righteous. You are in the state that you ought to be in as much as God's in the state that he ought to be in. That's the definition of righteousness. He shares that right status with you. That means that you are incapable of increasing your righteousness. You can learn how righteous you are. You can come in alignment with how righteous you are, but you will never be more righteous than you are right now. There are only two states, according to the scripture, of righteousness. Being being not righteous at all, the Bible says your righteousness is as filthy rags, or you are as righteous as God. There's no in-between. I'm just just reading the Bible to you. You go, that's uncomfortable. (laughs) It gets even worse. 1 Peter 1.16 says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We've wrongfully read that as a commandment. It's a declaration. You shall be holy, because I'm holy. Like father, like son, you're my kids, you're holy. You say, that doesn't make any sense to me. How can I be the righteousness of God? How can I be holy like God? Again, it gets worse. Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Wish I had time to preach on that. I don't. Got to get to this one by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become what? Partakers of the divine nature. (laughs) We talked about this. God literally in Christ shares his energy with us. You are a partaker of the divine nature. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus now lives in you, not visits, not attends once in a while, not if you go to church every Sunday, not if you pray an hour a day, not if you read your Bible, not if you pop the lady across the street. Hope you do all those things. But you are a partaker of his divine nature. You share his righteousness, you share his holiness. Say, how in the world is that possible? You go, you don't know what, you say, I'm like, God, there's no way. I've messed up. I've screwed up. I've failed. He's never screwed up. He's never messed up. He's never failed. How can I be like him? I'm really glad you asked. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul actually believed that. I know that he actually believed that because later on in 2 Corinthians, I think if I'm remembering right, it's like 7, 1, 2, 3, 4, somewhere in the beginning of chapter 7, Paul makes this statement. I have wronged no man. For those of y'all who don't know, Paul changed his name. Paul used to be a guy named Saul. And Saul, in the book of Acts, literally 
murdered Christians. He was under orders by like the chief Jewish people to like go find Christians, throw them in a jail, get them stoned. When we say stoned, I feel like there's some people that are misunderstanding. Stoned in the Bible doesn't mean toking the reefer. Stoned in the Bible means you have rocks thrown at you until you're dead. The Bible specifically tells us in Acts that Paul was the guy holding everyone's jackets while they stoned the first martyr in the church, Stephen. I just, okay, I don't, I have no biblical evidence to believe this is true. I have no, I can't, I, I cannot win a debate with you on this one. So, I'm, right? But I'm pretty sure Stephen's mom, sister, brother, or widow heard Paul say, I have wronged no man. How could Paul say that? Bill, if anyone was in Christ, it's a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So complete is this transformation that Paul reaches back into the Old Testament in the book of Romans. And indeed, he says of Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there, will be, there they will be called sons of the living God. I don't care what you were. I care what you are. And we are all, come on, we are all becoming who we are. But I don't care what you were. I care who you are. You once were not the people of God. Come on, come on. I want, I want to be super clear because there's, there's a group of people that I'm, I'm sort of discovering right now that are, 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 are saying things that sound like what I'm saying. But here's the problem. They take it a step further and say, well, everyone's already a child of God. No, Scripture makes it clear. Outside of Christ, you are old. Inside of Christ, you are new. You once were not. We celebrate salvation because we once were not a people. And now we are the people of God. We once were not beloved, but now we are beloved. We once were not those that belonged to him, and now we not only belong to him, we are the sons, come on, of the living God. Sons, we've taught this, have a permanent place in the house. We're going to learn this next year. Even when we do stupid things and sell everything we have and end up in a dumb place, we're still sons. Ultimately, all of this, according to the scriptures, as we believe in him, as our eyes are open, as our darkness is removed, as we see him and embrace him and entrust him, we know him. So John 17.3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That means to believe on Jesus, to embrace and entrust him, is to have eternal life. Zoe. Real, actual, tangible, substantial life. It's not just movement. It's not just activity. It's not just some bio readings of your physical body. It's real life. It's genuine, true activity in him. 
So my question for everyone, not just here, everyone who will ever hear this ever, do you believe him? Do you believe in him? Do you believe in him? Come on, do you believe in him? Can I say it another way? Are you believing in him? Let's have the worship team come back up. Are you letting the light of Jesus purge out all darkness? I challenged this last week. Are we willing? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Are we willing to let the light of Jesus purge out all darkness? Come on, let's stand to our feet. I specifically this morning Two, two specific words I feel like for somebody here this morning. When we say we embrace and entrust Him. Come on, come on. When we say we embrace and we entrust Him. When we, when we make the profession... Do we believe His testimony not only about himself, but about his father. Do we believe his testimony not only about himself, but about his father? Not only about himself, but about his father, but also about you. Do you believe his testimony about the father? Do you believe that what Jesus showed you of who God is, is who God really is? Or do we think that God is somehow hiding behind something else? Somehow withholding some part of him? Again, 1 John tells us that, that the message that Jesus brought is that God is pure light. In him there is no trace of darkness. There's no shadow. There's no hiding. There's nothing withheld. There's nothing held back. There's nothing that he's hoping you don't see. It's all light. There's light everywhere. Amazing revelation that somebody shared with me years ago. I don't honestly remember who or I would give them credit. The scriptures describe the throne room of God. And in our throne rooms, right, there's, there's, there's the throne room in front and there's the, the throne elevated and at the end of one, it's like a long hallway, right? We've all seen the Lord of the Rings. Right? That's how we're used to seeing throne rooms. And yet, when we have the throne room described in heaven, the throne seems to be in the middle of the room. And the angels are described as encircling the throne. They're all around it. And all of them, all of them, continually, constantly, consistently cry, holy, 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 worthy, worthy. Worthy. What, 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 what's, what's, what's the scriptures trying to show us? He's good all the way around. Come on, I said he's good all the way. There's, there's no part of him where you're going to go, oh, I got to, the, the angels don't get to one part and go, whoo. That's the scary part. But how many of us, come on, how many of us have struggled for years, decades, maybe still struggle with good cop, bad cop God? 
well, Jesus is the good cop and the father is the bad cop and that's why I just hang out with Jesus. Psalm 37, 25. I have been old, I have been young and now am old. And yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. How good is our God? He does not forsake his children. Come on, for some of you, you need to hear that spiritually, that, that he's not going to forsake you. He knows who you are. He's going to impart to you your identity. He's going to impart to you security. He's going to impart to you ecstasy. Some of you need to hear that on a spiritual level, but some of you, I'm aware, right now, you're going, how am I going to pay my rent? Is he going to take care of me? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I know who I'm talking to this morning. I'm talking to somebody. He has taken care of you up until now. He will keep taking care of you. Just listen to his voice and follow him. Come on, come on, come on. Hear me now. Listen to me now. Hear me later. Our God does not do forsaken and abandoned. In the next few weeks, I'm going to prove that to you in the Gospel of John. But hear it now. Our God does not do abandonment. He does not do forsaken. So you might feel like he's abandoned you. You might feel like he's forsaken you. And you might be able to come up to me after the service and prove to me that you feel that way. But I'm only going to look at you and say, your feelings are a lie. You go, oh, no, no, brother. I got proof evidence. I trust his testimony over your evidence 100% of the time. He doesn't do forsaken. He doesn't do abandonment. Do you trust him? If you say yes, will you do whatever he tells you to do then? For some of us, here's, here's the truth. Here's the truth, beloved. For some of us, that means starting to do something, and for some of us, it means stopping doing things. Not out of some stupid legalistic attempt to try to earn his love. You are already right now his favorite there's no more up the ladder you can move that was way better than you responded do you catch that you can't in favor yourself more than favorite nothing you do is going to make him like well you were my favorite before but now you're like my favorite you're already top of the list Some of us it means doing, some of it means stop doing. What do I mean? Some of us need to stop eating dirt. The problem is you don't think you're eating dirt. 6.5 million cheeseburgers are sold from McDonald's because people think they're food. Because they look like food and they smell like food, but they're not food. It's a food-like substance. We laugh, but we think we can find sexual gratification in pornography. We think we can find financial stability in being dishonest with the way we handle our finances. 
We think we can, we can raise up children in the way they should go by yelling at them and being angry with them. We think that we can fulfill the call of God in our life by screaming at the car in front of us on the freeway. What is it? It's eating dirt and trying to claim it's, it's, it's satisfying the thirst in our soul. Beloved, it's not. It's not. And you, if you'd be honest with yourself, you know it. So yes, for some of us, trusting that the righteous are not forsaken, that his seed does not beg bread, means stop trying to go find bread. And just trust that he provides. The other side of that is walking in obedience to what he tells us to do. You need to drink deeply of the water. Heal that broken relationship. Ask for forgiveness. Start walking in obedience with what God calls us to do with our time, talent, treasure, and testimony. I know this is way too practical for some of you. You don't want me to stay in the hyper-spiritual. Some of y'all need to start being generous with your finances to the church. And I'm not saying that because we don't have a church that's stupid, crazy generous. We already do. But, but you hanging out in a room full of generous people doesn't make you generous. Some of you need to, to go out and meet somebody new and, and greet somebody and, and make a new friend. Be kind to somebody. You're, 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 I'm, I'm lonely and nobody likes me. Well, maybe nobody likes you because you're a jerk. This, this is a hard reality that the woman who loves me more than anybody else in the world had to inform me of uh, several years ago. I was like, man, I don't feel people, people like me. She goes, it's mostly because you're mean. It's like, that hurt my feelings. Which is a shocker to me. I was a dude. I didn't know I had them. Um... Come on, are you tracking with me? Are you with me, church? We gotta stop eating dirt. We gotta start drinking water. Somebody here needed to hear this morning. I, I think it's more than somebody. I think it's a lot of somebody's. You're his favorite. Can I say it this way? He's particularly fond of you. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Don't, don't hear that for somebody else. Don't hear that, for, don't hear that in, in some future far off state where you've figured your stuff out. Hear it right now when you've screwed up, when you've messed up in full confession of your failure. Here, he's particularly fond of you. You go, but I keep falling and I keep stumbling. Listen, when my kids were really little and they were learning how to walk, I never got mad at them for falling over. The truth is, now that they're older and they, when they fall over, I still don't get mad at them. I think it's funnier now than it was back then. One of them, I won't tell you who, but he tripped on the stairs coming up. I couldn't stop laughing for like five minutes. It's like, you've had those feet your whole life, kid. If we do that, how much more does our Heavenly Father? Come on. I'm not making light of sin. Come on, come on, come on. I'm not making light of sin. I'm trying to help us realize that it doesn't change his affection toward us. 
What do we do when our little kids fell? When, when your two-year-old, when your one-year-old trips and falls over, you pick them up, you dust them off, you pat them on the butt, you tell them to keep going. Are you with me? He's particularly fond of you. Not when you arrive, not when you figure all your stuff out, right now, right here, right now. You are exactly where he wants you to be. He is so excited about where you are, the growth you're experiencing, the dynamic changes that are happening. He's so happy. You're freaking out about tomorrow, and he's like, man, I'm just excited you're right here. I know you're going to grow up and graduate one day, but I'm just really excited that you're at preschool. And if you're here, I want to be clear. Okay, I'm talking to Christians a lot this morning. I want to be super clear. I made the mention earlier in the message. If you are outside of Christ, nothing from what I said today applies to you. I love you. Nothing applies to you. How can I be so mean to say that? Because our God is so good that even though none of it applies to you right now, in an instant, it retroactively can apply to you. Because we talked about how it happens. We believe and receive. Grace of grace of his glory, we believe and we receive and we are transformed. Where once we were not his people, we become his people. Where once you are not beloved, you become beloved. We repent and we believe. We admit and we abandon. We embrace and we entrust and it transforms who we are. The old dies, the new comes alive. And what you are on the other side is not an improved version of the old. It is something utterly different. And I would plead with all of us here today to repent and believe to whatever degree we need to. To those who've never repented at all and never believed at all, I would cry out to you to repent and believe and be made new. To those of us who maybe have been walking in this for a long time, we need to get honest and say, I've picked up some stuff that I need to admit and abandon is not him. There are still some areas in my life where I'm eating dirt. There are still some places where I'm refusing to drink of the free gift of water of life. Come on, would you, would you repent and believe with me? Would you, would you join me on this lifelong journey of repenting and believing? I was praying this week, and this, this I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I was praying this week, and this word came out of my mouth that's, that I'm just going to let all of the English majors in the room, I don't, none of you majored in English, but you all email me like your majors in English. I know this isn't a word. We call ourselves believers. But I said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to, I, I can't call myself a believer. I want to, I want to be a believinger. I know it's not a word. But are you hearing what I'm saying? I don't want to just check off the box. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've accomplished the, the minimum necessary requirements to call myself. I want to always be believing. I don't ever want Abba to stop doing this unbraiding thing he started doing in me a couple years ago where he just says, I love you too much to let there be strands in the weave of who you are that aren't who I am. And that means I got to unbraid some. 
So we're going to take some time and we're going to respond today. We're going to respond through celebration, contemplation, communion. We're going to sing and celebrate the reality that God has made us alive in Him. Because knowing Him is what it means to be alive and He has made Himself known to us. He has made us alive. Amen? hope the song has something to do with that. I don't know. I didn't look. Um, but we're in our hearts. That's what we're going to be celebrating. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. We're going to contemplate. We're going to take some time to allow Holy Spirit to do some of that unbraiding. And I'm just going to warn you, this was my experience. When Abba first asked me if I would let him unbraid, I looked at the weave of it. I went, Everything looks good to me. Because here's the deal. Everything on the surface was. There was nothing. But come on, come on, come on. Took some unbraiding. And it was like, oh, that's in there? Oh, that's still in there? I didn't see it because it was underneath all the stuff. And in his goodness, he's just going to keep unbraiding. Take some time to allow Holy Spirit to answer that cry, answer that invitation to just begin to unbraid. And then lastly, we have communion. We partake in the Lord's table here. Every time we gather together, we have gluten-free options available on the edge. These tables are open to all of the sons of God. All of the family is welcome at this family meal. If you're still on a journey and you're not ready to repent and believe, you don't have to come up here, pretend like you're a Christian and take communion. You can hang out in your seat. No one's even going to notice. But it's open to all who have put their faith. You don't have to agree with all of our doctrine. Be a member of this church. There's no secret handshake. Just come forward. We take by antiquation take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup and partake. We would invite all believers to come take communion with us. We also commune one with another, however. So we do have some people over here by the cross. They would love to stand with you and pray with you. If you have any need, your physical body, your finances, your emotional health, your mental health, relationships, situations going on in your life. If maybe I called out some of those things in in you today that you're like, yeah, that was me. I need to abandon those things. I need to stop doing that or I need to start doing that. Whatever it might be, the Lord would call you to. They would love to stand and believe God to meet you in that place. Amen. They don't have magic words. They're not superhumans. They just love Jesus and Jesus loves us. Come on. And he hears us when we pray. So I'm going to pray for all of us and then invite us to respond. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is, it is spoken to us today. Thank you, God, that you meet us in this place. Thank you that you make us alive. Thank you that you breathe life into our mortal bodies. That we don't have to wait to know you until we get to some other plane of existence we call heaven. We can know you here. We can know you now. That we would come alive in you. Abba, I ask that you would make your love known to your people today in personal, practical, powerful ways. Spirit of the living God, make real the person of Jesus heart of the Father. Capture every essence of what we need. Capture our attention. Capture our affection. Capture our actions in who you are. 
have your way. Bring light, bring life, because you are light and you are life. In Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.